This editorially independent podcast is supported by Visit Flanders. This podcast features music and audio used according to the fair use principle. And in here... No, it's like that, but they... It was this one I was in. No, that's the middle one. No, they, well, they pimped this a year ago. They put a, a new floor in it. Uh, we arranged uh, new sh- uh, chairs, uh, new lightning, stuff like that. Also, chauffage. Yeah. This is Kuhn Huelier. He's showing me around the Casamanten Brewery in Ypres, which is located in a cave-like Casamate. Are you used to uh, media coming and photo? Really. Well, when people take pictures when I'm clowning, it's like that. Uh, today, oh, some yeah. people took a picture and uh, I have my nose then. But I took off all my... Maybe you will still see some glitter on There's it. a little bit on your face. Yeah, 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 I know. Really I try, I try to, uh, yeah. <laughs> to take it off. Kuhn is the brewer at Kazamaten. But he's also a professional clown. Yeah. I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smart Podcast. Press. Ypres was uh, the epicenter uh, of the First World War. It was uh, practically totally ruined uh, after, the, after those four years. Um, and uh, the, the site where the brewery is now located uh, uh, is underneath the fortified walls of the city. This is Peter Verdonk. He takes care of marketing and events for both Brouwerij St. Bernardus in Watu and Brouwerij Kazamatten in Iber. So, uh, the, the casemates, I think it, you call it like that in English. Um, yeah, yeah, are really yeah. underneath the fortified walls of the of the city, and those fortified walls were built uh, by um, the French uh, architectural uh, designer Vauban. So he was a, a really uh, yeah, one of the of the most known and uh, renowned uh, uh, building masters of France of uh, yeah, building uh, fortified walls for cities. And he, he was doing them in, uh, 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 all in the same style. So if you would Google, Google Vauban, you will see uh, a lot of pictures uh, of, of French cities. And uh, if you take uh, an aerial picture of Ypres, you will see, really, really see the resemblance. You will, you will really see his, uh, his signature. Uh, of those uh, constructions, um, and uh, but you're, I don't know if they were built. I think they were re- they were they were rebuilt after the First World War, uh, in, mm-hmm. his, in his original uh, in his original 
how do you call it status no state yeah state yeah in the original state um uh so then right now those fortified walls of or of Ypres are really one of the the key things that uh, the Tour- tourism office of Ypres plays out in his uh, campaigns uh, together with the Flanders Fields Museum and, uh, and the Manning Gate um, and the place where the brewery uh, is located. Uh, so underneath those fortified walls uh, used to be uh, the, uh, a place where uh, the soldiers and uh, especially the officers uh, of, the, of the Allies were located um, uh, to, uh, to uh, get to give orders to the, to the soldiers. But uh, the really uh, cool thing about it is that uh, they made a, a newspaper on that on that exact location. So you can, uh, um, and that newspaper was called the Wipers Times. So it was it's not written written in the same way as like as you write Eper, uh, but uh, and it was like a satirical uh, newspaper f- uh, to to give amusement to the soldiers uh, during the war. What the hell are you doing, Don? Die, boss vermin. You're wasting your time. Just put your bayonet away before you hurt someone. Boy, it's a rat, sir. Yes, I'm, I'm familiar with the species, Don. We've encountered one or two since we've been in Ypres. Ypres, sir? It's what the Belgians call wipers. Oh, right, sir. Funny lot, the Belgians. It's like the Napu rum they got over here, sir. Never seem to get any. Napu. It's from the French, Don. Il n'y en a plus. There is no more. Well, why don't they just say that then, sir? Nothing here, Captain. Napu salvage, sir. Very good, Dodd. Make a sap review yet. So this is a scene from the movie Wipers Times, released in 2013. The movie screened for the first time in the same week as the Casamatten brewed its first beer. Neither the producers of the film or the owners of the brewery knew of each other's projects relating to this same topic. So the movie is based on a true story. During the First World War, the Casamates were used by British troops as a command post, a field hospital, shelter and dormitory. But they were also a printing office for a satirical trench newspaper published by members of the British Army who were stationed on the front line along the Ypres salient during the First World War. A battalion known as the Sherwood Foresters had come across an abandoned printing press while looking for material in Ypres to shore up the trenches. Captain Fred Roberts and Lieutenant Jack Pearson with the help of a Sergeant Harris, who had worked as a Fleet Street printer in peacetime, salvaged the printing press and started a newspaper to lift the spirits of soldiers stationed in Belgium. The paper they produced, the Wipers Times, was named after their slang pronunciation of the city's name in French, Ypres. The owners of the Casamatten decided that the brewery should be named after the Casamats in which it would be housed, and that the first beer would be called Wipers Times to honour the Kazimat's previous use. Now the movie is actually good. It was produced on a TV budget for BBC Two 
but the visuals are fairly cinematic and the performances are strong. Rotten Tomatoes gave it a rating of 88%. It was written by Ian Hislop and Nick Newman, well-known satirists, and stars Ben Chaplin as Captain Roberts and Michael Palin as General Mitford. Here's a scene from the movie to help you fully understand the location of this brewery and the context of its branding. Find me something, lads. Look what we have here, sir. Boxes of paper. Excellent. Exactly what we're looking for to reinforce trench 132. Really, sir? Uh, no, Dodd. I'm afraid you'll find when you've been out for a while that paper doesn't offer much protection against crumps and whiz-bangs. Unless you're a red-hat in HQ with a cushy job, and then the paper stops you getting anywhere near the shooting gallery at all. Yeah, your cynicism could become wearying, Lieutenant Pearson. Except, fortunately, I find it quite amusing. Some tarpaulin here, sir. Well, that might be useful. Blimey. Now, what the bloody hell is that? That Smith is an Arab. I'm not stupid, Sam. The Arabs, an Anglo-American hand-fed platen press. It's probably the finest in the world. It's a manual pedal-operated printing machine, patented in 1872 by Josiah Wade, manufactured in Halifax, subsequently sold all over the world. In short, it's a work of art. So, should we smash it up? No! A stupid dod. Look, it's even got the blocks and the trays of type. Go on, stick that over there, Smith. Yeah. How on earth do you know all this, Harris? Well, I was a printer in Suey Street, sir. Good grief. You kept quiet about that. <laughs> well, didn't seem relevant to fighting Fritz, sir. No. It might be now. Can you make this work? Well, <laughs> I mean, she's not been used for a while. Yeah, the type's all over the countryside. And a few unwelcome visitors. But given a bit of time, reckon so, sir. Yes, sir. How does it work then, son? Well, you stick the ink on that plate there, and the rollers come down onto the block there. Paper goes in there. Don't touch it. Very interesting. What are we going to do with it? We're going to borrow it. Isn't that looting? No, no it's temporary requisitioning of civilian facilities for military purposes. Oh, right. Sounds like looting. Have you ever done any journalism, Pearson? Good God, no. Excellent. Me neither. Because what we're going to do is we're going to produce a newspaper, aren't we, Sergeant? You say so, sir? What, like the Daily Mail? I was thinking something rather more accurate. The Times? The Wipers Times. Kazamatan Brewery opened in 2013, just as the city of Ypres was preparing for its four-year-long centenary commemorations of the First World War. Its output is modest, around 750 hectolitres per year, and its beers are classic, basically a series of spiced Belgian eels. They've won a few medals, bronze at the Brussels Beer Challenge and bronze at the World Beer Awards, but on the face of it, 
you know, nothing remarkable. The deeper you move into the Casamatan, though, the more compelling its story becomes. The brewery is housed in one of the most unique spaces of any brewery in the country, these cave-like casemates of cold grey stone, peppered with medieval armaments and First World War bullet holes. It was the first brewery to open in Ypres since 1976, effectively making its products the de facto beer of the city. Most notably, the brewery represents the coming together of two prominent families in Belgian beer, the Gegeris and the De Peperis. First, the Gegeris. Rudy Gegere is the site manager at Brauerei Rodenbach, the largest producer of Flemish red-brown beer in the world, and an institution of a brewery which existed before the creation of Belgium as a country. Rudy has worked at Rodenbach since 1982 and has become somewhat of an institution himself, respected nationally and internationally for his knowledge and his strength of will. His son is Martin Gegere, a bioengineer who completed his master thesis at the Centre for Malting and Brewing and who works as a postdoctoral researcher at KU Leuven's Faculty of Engineering Science. and Martin found the Casamates as a location and discussed starting a brewery project, they realised you know, they couldn't do it alone. They'd need assistance and expertise in logistics and sales and distribution and finance. So without the right partner, their brewery project would remain a pipe dream. So, enter the Debebetus. Hans de Peperde is the owner of St. Bernardus Brewery in Watu. He bought St. Bernardus back in 1998. At that time it was a small brewery which had existed since 1946. Then it was producing about 8,000 hectolitres of beer per year. So when he, when he brought his daughter Julie de Peperde in to start working at St. Bernardus in 2011, they were already producing 33,000 hectolitres of beer per year. We call, we call her Julie, so not Julie en français, mais Julie because uh, she was born in uh, America. Okay. Yeah. So uh, Hans, our 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 patron, our chef, uh, he was uh, he had a he had a, his own company in uh, in the states uh, for uh, security, uh, selling security systems and all that, all that kind mm -hmm. of of, the, of things. And uh, they, they they lived in America uh, or in the States uh, when Julie was born. So uh, do, do you know where whereabouts in the States that was? Yeah, I can. It wasn't it in Newport Beach. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not New sure. I think it was in Newport Beach. I'll look it up right now. Uh, and is Julie's yeah, Julie's New, role New, Newport Beach? Yeah, California. Sounds nice. Yeah, she's so she's the oldest of five kids, and, uh, and when, all the five when, kids you can pronounce their name in English too. And when did they move back from from the states? 
What age was was she when she came I, back to Belgium? I think they came back uh, late eighties. Uh, so, does she speak English with a an American accent or with a Flemish <laughs> a Flemish accent? You you can't hear anything about uh, that anymore. If she speaks English or you know, there 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 are not uh, any accents that uh, that that uh, show that it, she was born there. Okay. And um, what's her, is, is she more in, involved in like commercial management or logistical excise stuff or what's, what's her role now in, in Casa Martin? Um, she, she is like uh, involved in everything uh, for, for So day to day she's around in the Casa Martin? No, there, there's only one person that's, that is there uh, in, the, in the brewery itself day to day and that's Kun. Yeah, uh, and, and then Rudy is the second person who is the, there. There, I think, be, almost every week because he still do, does every brewery visit on Saturday afternoon. Jesus, uh, he's busy. When, when, yeah, when it's not Corona, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so yeah, he 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 uh, he's he's the brewmaster at Rodenbach, and every Saturday after afternoon, together with his wife, he. He runs the the brewery visits and uh, the, the the bar. He's a very busy man. I don't know how he has time for for dealing with two breweries, but uh, yeah, it's yeah, great. And, the, and then and then he also, um, yeah, he, he he's the boss of Kuhn. So uh, Rudy Rudy has designed uh, the recipes, but uh, he also instructs Kuhn what to do, and uh, he uh, he supervises them. So uh, I think uh, yeah, he, he's, he is exactly uh, quite busy. The story of Casa Martin is one of collaboration and history and dynasty. It's about the members of two families finding a way to each chase what was missing in their lives. Oh, and of course, the story has a clown. We call her Julie. Belgium, of course. Uh, I live in uh, uh, Hinehoen, uh, that's a, f- a French uh, frontier town. Julie de Pepere, daughter of Hans de Pepere, co-owner of Brouwerij Casamatten. I started at uh, in the brewery, in the world of the brewers, in 2011, before I was like an auditor. I uh, worked in Ghent uh, after my studies of economics um, 
I love to visit all different kinds of uh, of uh, firms, so I could watch what I wanted to do, what I what, which uh, um, uh, systems they use, ERP, and so on. And then in 2011, I made uh, the step to the brewery. Uh, at first, it was the brewery of St. Bernardus, uh, which I'm still uh, working in. Um, my job there is, in fact, I'm operational manager. So um, my dad takes care of the PR, the commercial and uh, the, the big purchases uh, like malt and hops. Uh, and glasses um, and the rest I am doing so I'm bringing organization structure HR finance um, I take care of the production um, that's to what concerns my job in brewery St. Bernardus in 2010 uh, my dad wanted to uh, start a small brewery uh, at my home because we live in um, in Wallonia and he wanted uh, we live in a, in a nice old farm also built in um, 1664 um, but then he met uh, Rudi Hikire and um, they talked to each other and then they said, oh, uh, I have a very nice place where we can uh, uh, do that brewery. And then they went to visit the Kazematen in Ipers and together with uh, the, uh, together they started to build a story around uh, those Kazematen those here. They looked at the history of the brewery, uh, of, of this place here. And they uh, were both thrilled to start, but uh, both are talking, this is not for us, we will do it for our children. So my dad asked me, I really asked his son if we were interested. And then we uh, talked about it with the four of us. And then we were uh, very uh, excited. We went to the library, we, we did some research about uh, what happened in, in the Kazamaten and then we thought about a name and then like I, me myself, I'm very, very interested in uh, war. I adore books of uh, the, world, the, the world wars, um, yes, I'm, I'm really interested in it. So. We started. And like, do you get the impression that um, Rudy had kind of an idea before he met with your father and then it crystallized into what became Kazamatan? Or was it a case that they, you know, just knocked heads together with some ideas? No, they both had their ideas. Rudy had his ID. Uh, he, he made long walks with his wife here above the Kazemats, and my dad had the idea about the commercialization and about uh, what he wanted. And he, my dad had a small, he bought a small brewery, uh, the installation. So they both had something. And so your dad already had the, the, yes. the system? Yes, okay. he, yeah. he bought the system like two or three years before. Um, and for Brewery St. Bernardus, it was a, a nice opportunity because uh, uh, brewery seminars was like a very big firm and this is like our kindergarten to play to um, 
to create new beers, to test something, if we want to do that, this or that. So that was what my dad was very interested in, to have his little small brewery here. And then uh, we did uh, so... Uh, um, we did uh, the research about the casemats and really showed us the place here. So that was how we we met. And the story was like, okay, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, it w- was part of the thinking of using Ypres that you know there was no city brewery here and yes. it was kind of lacking that. I mean, the last brewery was Vermeulen, which was, I think, closed in the 70s. Yeah, yeah so of course. So there was nothing in Ypres. Um, you know, this was kind of something which you hope could... Uh, bring something back to the city, maybe also tap into the tourism and war tourism in particular? The initial idea was uh, uh, really getting into the war um, tourism, but really quick we like we said like we will do every, we'll not only focus on, on the war because uh, the, the history of the Kazmaten is war based, but there's so much more than that. Uh, it has been a hospital here. It has been, uh, well, a bomb shelter also, but it has like been um, 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 champion quickery. Um, mushroom. Um, yes. Yeah, like chamber. Yeah. Yes, chamber. Uh, it has been so much uh, for brewery uh, Saint Bernardus. We had like grotten, uh, grotten beer. And uh, we bought, uh, they have been bought, bought that in 2002, but we didn't have caves in Brewery Seminaris. And my dad was like, wow, the Kazamat and this, this are just like caves, so we can stock the beer of Rotten Santé here. So that was also a part of the story. Um, the fact that Iper didn't have his own uh, beer brewery was uh, an idea of, of, of uh, Rudy. And that, so that was, we both brought all our motives. So in the bigger picture and for us, we were, we we're happy that, that we both brought our ideas. Yeah, I mean, it's two, I mean, you're aware that it's two well-known families in Belgian beer. You have the, the Gheeris. Um, Rudy is obviously an important figure in Rodenbach, in Russelare. Uh, and then... Um, the paper is Hans and St. Bernardus, which is a very important brewery, not only in the West Hook, but in Belgium um, generally. Um, so, I mean, obviously Hans and Rudy were kind of aware of each other in the beer world. Were they close before, you know, sitting down to discuss this project? It's uh, because of the Belgian family brewers and uh, the reunions that they had there that they uh, were on speaking terms because before they didn't know each other. Uh, but my, my dad loves the, the Belgian family brewers and to meet with other brewers and to talk about it. And Rudy also, he, he adores it to listen to the people and they learn to each other because both they have their own uh, ideas and what they know and they are really... Uh, they fit to each other because there are, there are two different sections where they are specialists in it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so, you, you know, you're um, <coughs> chief operating officer, <coughs> chief operating officer at St. Bernardus, you're involved with the Casamanten, you're living in Heinecho and you, you've got three kids, but let's go back to 
growing up with this Simple Knowledge Brewery developing and your father kind of making it the brand that it is, like, do you have early memories of being in and around the brewery when you were a kid? No. Um, I have early memories of beer, but not brewery St. Bernardus. Um, in my family, we are really beer drinkers. Uh, we're not... My, my mother, every evening, she drank a beer. But when my dad was uh, 40, he sold his uh, other firm in... Uh, oh, something totally different, assurances and... Uh, uh, systems of alarm um, and um, he told my mom now I will do something which I really like and then he bought a brewery but I was at that age I was uh, 15, 16 I think um, but as the brewery in the beginning uh, was like very very small he, all, he only went like two times a week and then it became bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then um, in 2011, uh, he asked me to come. So, so, I mean, when you're 15 or 16 years old... I worked there. As a, a student, I worked there. I made with all the employers. I studied there also because there's like a, bed and, a guest house uh, next to it. And the old owners of the brewery, Bernadette... She had there, uh, uh, and she was so lovely and calm. And then my dad took me and my sister uh, to the brewery. He worked, and uh, we studied in the guest house. And Bernadette, she gave us everything, little cheeses and fruits, and we were really spoiled. Uh, and then we uh, go, went tennising because there was like a court there. Um, and when I finished my studies, I went working there, really putting uh, heavy work. In the, in the guest house? No, no, in the brewery, in the brewery itself. Yeah. Yes, so I met... So it was pretty small then, sort of, when it started out, and it's just yes. grown over the last sort of... Um, I think they were, with seven or something, or eight. And what was, in your mind, did you ever think, well, what's my dad doing buying a brewery? Or were you very excited at this kind of new, new business prospect that you might be able to get involved in? At first, I wasn't so convinced to go in the brewery world because uh, my dad really uh, didn't talk about it much at home because his work was his work and he didn't want to involve both uh, things. But as I am the, the biggest beer drinker of uh, the kids, no, and my brother, but he was then too small, and I... Um, I had the skills to enter the brewery because I uh, worked for 10 years uh, in structure, organization, finance. Um, so it fitted that I, I went into the brewery. But I never thought I would love it so much as I do. From the first day on, I uh, adored it. Yeah, because, I mean, you, you, you just said, you know, you went to some other businesses for work experience. You did some other work. Um, did you say in, in auditing? Yes, I um, audited the firms. I was working for PricewaterhouseCoopers. So yeah, PwC. So was the idea then, uh, I'm going to do this, but in the back of my mind, I know I'm coming back. And no. I'm in Simperanus. Or were you like, that's, ah. that's my dad's thing and I'm going to do my own thing? My dad always told that he didn't want somebody in the brewery and then all of a sudden 
he was uh, like, okay, um, you should come. Now you should come. And I didn't think about it. In Be that you didn't doubt it? You were always going to go? No. I, w I always uh, told uh, that I didn't, I didn't want to go. Because he didn't ask me to it too. In fact, he didn't want it to. But all of a sudden he thought like, oh, there are skills that my daughter has that I don't have. And the firm is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we should use all the different kind of skills. You, because he's a real, he's a commercial one, but he, administration, he, he really... So that's, that's actually a nice moment for you because it feels a little bit like he respects what I have achieved. Yes. But he always respected everything I did because uh, he was always... always he has always been proud on, on, on his children, all of them. So you're now starting to work at St. Bernardus. And um, uh, well, let's go back before that. So you worked in some auditing in some firms. So is that essentially going in and helping businesses to, you know, make sure their systems are correct? No, <laughs> that's what I did in breweries and Bernardis. <clears throat> Other thing is like really uh, looking if they book uh, everything on the, the right accounts. If um, but you get like a helicopter view of the firm. You really in in two days you should know the firm from A to Z. So what I learned there is like keeping up the, the bigger part of the firm and don't get into the details. What, how is this firm like? What are the risks? What are the weaknesses? What are the strengths? What is uh, the strategy of the sales? Um, how um, can, can they um, uh, prove their continuity? Because they, what are their biggest... Um, uh, opportunities, opportunities, but also. So, were you were you retained by those firms to then report back to them on what you yes. saw in that helicopter we, view? We, the the thing we, we should do is telling them, when, okay, what you are publishing here is correct, so that they don't show a nicer view of what the firm is, but to tell that the figures are correct. The, the, the PNL is correct. You should know the firm. So, in a really short notice, you, you have like a, a view from how the firms are. And that was my learning school. Also, I had to look in, um, for instance, inventories. I, uh, I counted, uh, I, I did, I started with counting because I, I should know. The value of the inventory that they are showing here is that correct? But in the meanwhile, you know in what system they work, how they work, if it's okay. You see the warehouse, you see everything. Do you see a lot of mistakes? Like yeah, things like well, these guys are in trouble here in the long term. Not really. No, the firms were too big. If you work for Price uh, PwC, you get really big firms. So uh, not really. No. And so, so that was in, you were based in Ghent? Yes. So you lived in Ghent? No. In, well, then I lived in Bruges. But then I moved back to Wareham, where my parents lived. And then I, 
left to okay, Vienna. So you're a little bit all around East and West Flanders then? Yes. Yeah. And, and Wallonia. And Wallonia, man. Uh, yes, man. No. <laughs> yes. So then uh, Hans, your father, says, um, Julie, we need you. You start um, basically in the same role you're in now, like chief op- op- operation. No, no, no. I, star- I, I started uh, low. That was the the idea of my dad, which I totally understand. You should prove yourself. So I started in the bookkeeping because that was what my studies were about. I did economics in, Ghent, uh, in, in Leuven. But then really fast I started to... Uh, my main task was uh, a new ERP, um, a clock ticking system for uh, the people. Um, now I'm starting a warehouse management system. Um, I did improvements, optimizations, uh, an automatic um, reservation system for the brewery visits, an automatic system for uh, Bar Bernard, for the guest house. Um, I did OCR scanning, uh, invoicing, so all our uh, purchase invoices, we have like 4,000 a year are now uh, done uh, via OCR because my main thing is uh, if you want to keep your firm um, good, you should invest in innovation, R&D, and then uh, software. You should be always, I always have the latest uh, things. Yeah, and this is kind of also future-proofing a little bit the business. Um, and it's a business that, you know, there's a strong possibility you will be involved in for quite a time, given that it's a family business. So it makes sense to think about those things, you know, in a long-term approach, right? Yes. Yeah. I really like automatization. Uh, for me, that's the key uh, for the future from a lot of firms. And you've seen it now in during uh, Corona that the firms who have, like, uh, for us... When we started to working from home, it was like in a in a glimpse, everybody worked from home, no problems. It was like that. You had the infrastructure already established. Yes. That is what uh, my key investments were about the past 10 years, is um, a, a founding a base that is good for the growth that I want to do, that we want to do with uh, systems who work and are optimized. So that is a little bit what uh, what my main uh, task is. So you know you have this um, you know this vision of you know how you want the business to um, run more smoothly, to be more enhanced, uh, optimized, or more automized. Um, your dad is someone who is a kind of a strong-willed person as well. Um, was it easy to work with your dad initially? Obviously, you know you've you've had some time together now. Um, you know, was there expectations? Was there anything that was brought over from the family home? It happens a lot in Belgium where you have these family transitions. Um, you know, was that a was was there any tension there with you at the start, or was it all pretty? But at the start, not really, because I started in the bookkeeping next to the bookkeeper, and I had to prove myself. But now I get a, ro- a lot of. Uh, he sees that all the people are are looking at me, and that I am. Um, so the daily business are run by me because uh, he is like he goes to the events uh, to the he is the commercial one the PR he goes to the cafes and I think that in, in our in our 
lives. This is okay because I do have three children and I'm not a person to... He goes to the Belgian family breweries, he goes to all the reunions. So he is like the face of Brewery St. Bernardus and for me that's okay because I like to work in the... So at that point we had, as of the start, a good uh, story. But in the beginning, then I started to change a lot of things. And then in, in, he was like, and oh, why that? And oh, why that? But then all of a sudden he was really getting a little bit uh, anxious because what is she doing? Um, but I also merited his uh, confidence that the things that I decide are, are good. Not, I mean, not all of them, but he was like fun. Okay, I'll leave it because. But it's also all things that he really has. No, no, no. He's not IT minded. Uh, he's not and, technically and is, you know, under underlaid, and I'm very technically. So we are very good substitutes. So in fact, we really, really work good uh, with each other. Complementary. We are complementary, and he. In the beginning, he didn't get it. He sometimes thought, like, she's taking my place. And I was like, no, 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 not at all. I don't want to be the face of Brewery St. Bernardus. I'm just good as I am. It's perfect as it is right now because he is... Uh, but that doesn't say now I'm starting a sales. Um, I want to get the sales. I want to know how I should do it, even if I don't... I, I don't want to do it or I, I won't do it because I have to lead the company, but I want to know how it sells so I can more uh, say to the sa or sales manager, you should do this, that or that, or why, to help him also. Because There's an empathy there that then they'll appreciate because they see yes. that you know the inside of sales as well. Yes, so now I'm doing like a, a, an uplading four days in sales. So it's not because I'm not... I won't do the sales that I don't, I'm not interested in it. Yeah. I think though with, with any change in a business, you know, in any era, you look at, you know, how the generation that came after the world wars changed brewing in Belgium, moving more to like German lagers, changing the breweries that helped them survive commercially. And the, the previous generation who were brewing old browns and, you know, stronger eels, um, didn't like that change, but it, it was for the benefit of the family business. And I think in every generation, in every era, there's always going to be a little bit of... Because of, change is difficult. Yes, that's... It, it needs to happen, but, you know. That was what he was uh, anxious for, no. So. It's the same in, 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 our, in our, our lives as well. If we want to change something in our life, it, it's, it's, it can be quite scary. And of course then, but it, it makes us grow as people. Yes. Um, okay, let's talk, a for, uh, last question on yourself. Um, did I read somewhere that you were born in the States? Yes. So how did, where and, and how? And, and um, the, the first uh, firm of my dad uh, was a firm together uh, with uh, my grandfather, and that was in the States. So... Um, my grandfather invented an alarm system and in Belgium was like, I'm gonna get it grow, it will grow faster in America, in the States. So the whole family moved to uh, America and my parents lived there for six years. And me and my sister are born there. So I lived there for four years. I don't remember too much, but um, when I was, uh, 
four, I moved back to Belgium. But uh, they lived there for six years. So, are you American or Belgian? I'm both nationalities. Um, the United States knows my bank accounts every year. Uh, I I should tell them how money, how much money who is on, on my bank accounts. I didn't like it, but otherwise I lost my nationality. I have a green card, so if I want, I can move to uh, the States. But I also have a Belgian uh, nationality, so I have both passports. So I use when I when I. Uh, uh, have a trip to the States. I always use my... Uh, you my, come in as an American? Yes, because the the queue is less long. <laughs> and then my family can come with me because there's one uh, American. So <laughs> that's the... the, the mo- that's easy. So the Gejiras and the De Peperes secured a small brewery system. They had the unique location in the Casamates, They had the recipes and the brand identity of the beers they wanted to brew. But like the Wipers Times newspaper for the soldiers fighting in World War I, it was still everyone's side project. Rudi Gegere was managing Rodenbach, Martin Gegere was pursuing his PhD, and Hans and Julie de Pepere were running St Bernardus. If they were to execute on their plan, they'd have to find someone to carry out the day-to-day brewing and cellar work at the Casamatten. The person would need to be a qualified brewer, willing to brew only twice a week, carry out all the lab work and cellaring, assist with packaging and administration, and even help out hosting visitors. You know, without the right person, the Casamatten project just wouldn't work. Then they found Kuhn. Kuhn got involved in the project because he's a cytologue and um, he uh, was a, a student of Rudy and um, he's from Kortrijk, he's also a clown. So I saw him on a lot of, uh, my children were on a lot smaller, so he came as a clown, he's also a... So, so he dresses up as a clown? Yes, yes, and, yes. Uh, and works go, as a professional yes, clown? Yes, yes, yes. So did you... Did your kids have the the pleasure of kind of going to one of his shows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, he does the shows on birthdays, communions, and the first time I saw him was in in Kortrijk and in, in Parkhoute. Oh, that was a thing, and then so I knew him from that way, and then Rudy knew him from that way. Is he a good clown? Yes, he went to the communion of my daughter. Okay, he came. Um, and that was like uh, how how we met, and he he loved the story also, and it was okay, and so now he's already working here for from from the start. Part three, the clown. Hugelier is the pronunciation of your surname. Hugelier. 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 
Hügelier. Hügelier, yeah. That's difficult. Yeah, it's, I guess it is. Kuhn sat down with me to tell me how he got involved with the Kazamatan project. So um, I worked as a lab technician at the University of Ghent. Um, I worked there for more than 10 years, mainly uh, protein chemistry and uh, mass spectrometry. And then um, I got interested in uh, the beer world, how beer tastes, what food pairing is about. So I did a course, uh, evening education, to be um, like a beer specialist, a cytologist. And um, to understand the process more, I had my background in uh, biochemistry. So uh, I knew how uh, the enzymatic stuff works. So I started to make beer to understand it a bit better. And um, it got to me. So... um, I made small batches in the beginning and then I made a big batch on a 10 hectoliter installation um, and I got more and more interested. So, uh, so that batch was for the birth of your daughter. Yeah, that's true. In yeah. 2000 and... That was 2010. And 10. So um, what was that beer? And like, how did you go about making 10 hectoliters kind of when you didn't have your own Well, you, you, I was doing batches of uh, 100 liters with a friend but at that time, uh, we wanted to give it as a present for our friends. And uh, since you cannot give beer away that has not been made in an installation that has been accredited with uh, safety precautions and also uh, sanitizing regulations, so I just made a, a, a 10 hectoliter batch. Uh, 500 liters was used for um, giving us presents, and the rest I commercialized it as my seven cents Luxuria first batch. So was that the first kind of foray into commercial beer? Yeah, that was, yeah. And then after that, you're, you're going to the, the Zitteloch uh, yeah. classes? Yeah, well, that was actually uh, during the Zitteloch classes. Um, and after a year, uh, I wanted to do a refreshment of the class. Because uh, if you don't are into it every day, it's a bit difficult. So I wanted to do it again. But they said, uh, don't do it as a student, just help the teacher uh, assist him. So I did. And after two years, the teacher stopped. So I took his place. And since then, I have been teaching uh, at uh, Centra uh, in several departments in Flanders. Yeah. So what type of things do, do people learn in a, a Zitalog course? So they learn, first of all, they get introduced uh, in tasting. Uh, because it's a main part of their education program. Um, So we learn them how to look at the beer, uh, how to taste it, uh, like the whole uh, way of doing it. Then they see uh, the ingredients that are used for it. So the the malts, the hops, the water, everything. Then they have some classes about fabrication, how beer is made. Um, And then in the first year, the end, they see the food pairing. So how to combine uh, the simple, basic taste like uh, sweet, sour, acid, uh, stuff like that with, um, with beer, how does that work? And in the second year, they see uh, more about a bit of the history, packaging, uh, guarding beer and more food pairing. So uh, it's like 50 weeks that they have. An evening takes about four hours. Uh, first part is mainly uh, theoretically explanation. And then the second part is tasting and filling in forms and discussing beer. Yeah. And you're, you're also working um, uh, sort of on contract with other breweries as well, yeah. like from colleagues that you know from you know previous years. Yeah. So tell me about that as well. So I freelance uh, as a teacher. I freelance as a brewer here in Kazamatten, two times, two days a week, and I also freelance for the Brew Society in Höhle, which is where I live, also two days a week. Yeah. So you know you've got all these different projects in beer. It's quite varied. You know the teaching, different types of production. Um, so obviously you're you're kind of 
You're deep into the world of beer. I think I'm a bit into the world of beer, yeah. Um, I noticed when you when you um, arrived today, you had a little bit of glitter on your face. <laughs> yeah. Um, why do you have glitter on your face? Well, this morning I had a geek. I had a, a geek. I had a geek to do. Uh, so I uh, performed at the market in Harlebeke to entertain people from the market. So they uh, try to uh, make it comfortable for people. They do like uh, the project several times a year. And I entertain people as a, a street entertaining clown slash stilt walker. Uh, balloon sculpting, juggling, and stuff like that. But you know, the, the stilt walking and the juggling and the clowning, it sounds like something you need to train for. Yeah, well, I have been doing that since 20 years, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dinosaur. So how, do you, how does one get into clowning? I guess I was always a bit of a clown when I was a kid. Uh, got a lot of punishment for that in school, uh, being a fool. Um, and then some, like 20 years ago, somebody asked me to make some balloon animals for a communion for his son. I was 23 at that age. Um, I did something, I made a business card for fun. People started to call me to do animation on their parties. Uh, I did some companies, noticed that I was not bad in what I did. People liked it. And it was like a nice way to earn a bit extra. Uh, so I have been doing that like uh, since 20 years. And are you, are you like dressing up in, in the clown yeah. gear and everything? I, I have never liked the clown costume like uh, the carnival clowns have. I have my own costume with my pitelair and my own stuff, which is a bit my style. Too. And how is it different? Uh, I think kids are less afraid. I don't have red hair. I'm just like I am. I don't have much makeup. Uh, I don't have much... Uh, I don't have the big shoes, the, the standard things that, that you would expect of a clown. I'm just... I did a bit my own style during the year, so it's uh, it's what I like, not to be too much exaggerating. And do the um, the people that, you know, work with you in the Casa Mountain know that you're a clown? Everybody knows that I'm a clown. I try not to tell too much about it in my uh, class when I teach, but sooner or later they notice anyway that I'm always wearing two different colors of shoes and, and that something is really, uh, that I'm really loose in in a way. But I'm, I'm not starting my class that I'm a clown. They, sooner or later they find out anyway. But is there is there any judgment or is there any like preconception about what that means or um, like because that's a difficult conversation to have if you well I'm the teacher they come to the class to uh, get information and to to be uh, educated I guess if they have good information if they are uh, happy of what I teach them they don't judge on what I do uh, in my private life or personal life so I never had any problems with judgment or uh, no. Um, yeah, so you're the brewer here at the Casamonton. Can you um, can you tell me a little bit about how that started? Yeah, so um, I was um, in a jury for the students that uh, finished their education program as a zytologist. Uh, Rudy Hikira was also in that jury, and he remembered me being a student of him, and that I uh, already was making uh, my own seven sins. So he uh, had the idea to ask me to come and work for Casamonton as a brewer, and that was in 2013. So you're kind of, you're in the classroom while Rudy's teaching. Um, he's obviously, you know, a well-known figure in Belgium because he's, you know, the, the kind of uh, um, a high-profile uh, high guy in Rudenbach, which is a famous brewery. 
I mean, did you know him before the classes? Uh, I did not know him before the classes. So you kind of just, you were student and teacher and, you know, he was teaching part of the course. Um, no, the, the, the thing is that um, I, I got um, my education from Rudy and then uh, years later, uh, he was not a teacher anymore. And then I uh, took part of his uh, classes. Yes, yeah, so you took over teaching from part yeah, of Rudy's a bit classes. Yeah, yeah. So he he knew you because there was a handover or a transition or not really no. But I mean, was was there a point where you were like, oh, this is, you know, there's there's a transition from this is Rudy Gakira, the guy from Rodenbach who everybody knows, yeah. to now we work alongside each other fairly regularly and you know. Um, not really, bit because I don't know how long he teached after I finished my education program. I don't think he did a lot of years because I think he realized it was a lot of work that he had uh, to engage himself in teaching so much. So actually, in the beginning, I don't know how much years he was there. I, I got on the train pretty early, um, but I don't know uh, how long he was because I teached uh, in in the West Flemish part, so in Bruges and in, in, um, in Kortrijk, but uh, I also uh, teached in um, in Ghent, where he was also a jury. So I don't, we never, I think, I don't think we ever teached uh, together, actually. So, so, you know, he comes along in 2013 after knowing you as a student and knowing that you were a teacher in Sintra and, and Rudy says, hey, Kuhn, how are you? We've got this project. We've spoken to Stad Ieper. Um, we are... You know, we've got a couple of partners involved who are all kind of influential in the beer world, and we know what we're doing. Um, we just need someone to brew. Is that is, was it was it that sort of a meeting, yeah. or did you get a text? Or how did, he he met me at a jury evening for um, for the students, and he said, "I have a project. Why don't you come to uh, to talk to me?" So I did, um, and he explained the project, and he said, "Like we're looking for a brewer." Uh, he knew I was brewing at that time um, in another facility, so he knew that I had that brewing experience. He knew that I also had my background as a lab technician, so that I knew what I was doing, that what, what biochemistry was behind it. Um, and he knew that I was freelancing, which was very important, because if you only need a brewer for two days a week, um, it's uh, quite obvious to look for something like that and have to hire somebody for a whole week. So w was the idea that this was something, you know, for the city of Ypres, it's not a huge production of beer. It's 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 kind of something that can add value to for tourism. It's something that um, you know is a part of the identity of the city. So w was that more the the thinking behind the project than you know we we need to be producing these types of beers? Um, the well the the model of this facility has always been the beautiful location, getting people to this location and showing the story of what happened here in the past. And combining that, of course, with, according to me, one of the most sites where beer is made in Belgium. So they, they really did a good job in installing a small brew house uh, with um, a tourist center where people can, of course, come and have the beer experience where uh, they can see how beer is made and then, of course, the tastings. So I did they did very well with, um, with these uh, buildings, which were before used as uh, stock for their uh, furniture. Of Horeca. So I guess uh, the city was really happy that um, Rudy came with the idea to make a brewing house in here, a brewery, because it has been since 1976 that uh, no beer was brewed in uh, Ypres. So uh, I think the city was happy that this site was really uh, up, uh, rewarded. Yeah, that was a, a, a brewery, Vermeulen. Yeah. Um, 
Can you tell me anything about that brewery? I don't know much about it because I was only born in 76. I know they made Ypres uh, and I think it's still, or it has, it was still in production. I don't know. I heard something that uh, uh, Van der Henste had it, uh, but I don't know what happened with it now. Uh, Ypres was from here and actually Vermeulen um, is not far from uh, the gate of Menin. Uh, but I, I don't know much about it. So you, basically in the city of Ypres, in a region in Belgium which has got a lot of brewing uh, heritage and current breweries, you had no brewery between 1976 yeah. and 2013. Yeah. Um, so we've kind of talked about Rudy and, um, you know, St. Bernardus are obviously assisting in parts of production, but actually... Rodenbach and St. Bernardus are not officially, like, legally involved in the ownership of the brewery. So could you tell me a little bit about how that's structured? Uh, it's a bit difficult for me to know how it's structured. I only know that it is two families that got together and um, got the investment for this, but I don't know uh, how it is all regulated. You should, you should really ask uh, Julie what can be told about that and what not. You should not ask me. Of course. Um, maybe you can talk to me about the, the brewery system. Yeah. Can you tell me anything about um, you know, where that came from? Uh, as I, far as I know, um, there was a brewery Old Bailey in St. Louis Winkle. I don't know much about it. Um, but they started to brew, I think, in 1996. It has been used for a bit of time, but I don't know how long. And then to what I heard, that brew unit disappeared somehow, and then it surfaced but I don't know uh, much about it. You should ask Rudy as well, because he probably knows more about the history. I know he saw it somewhere and then he bought it, but I, I never got to know how it uh, really got uh, here. So it's kind of some mystery or some story for, behind for the brewery? For me, it's a mystery. I think uh, people that really had it know, but I don't know exactly uh, where it comes from or what it does. Um, and that is a, a kind of a, a six hectolitre system, would you say? We uh, produce close to seven but uh, what uh, is finally uh, ready when it's all done it's like six 6.1 and you know for people that you know don't have the opportunity to see it it's a kind of a a, an old um copper um sort of uh copper on the outside and stainless steel on the inside it's a two kettle system where you have kind of mash and boiling kettle in one and lauder ton on the other um it's powered by steam you have uh, the facility to um, basically uh, manage your water chemistry through reverse osmosis and adding salts and stuff. And then you have a series of coned fermenters and then two bigger bright beer tanks for, yeah. for sort of conditioning the beer. Yeah, that's true. Um, so every week we make uh, two batches, mainly on Thursday and Friday, because that's very handy if you have uh, visitors on Saturday, that there is like activity in the brew. In the, the brew Active fermentation. Yeah. So the, when the fermentation is going, people always like to see that something is going on, that they have the good smell of the fermentation. So I mainly brew on Thursday and Friday. Um, the fermenters are 20 hectoliters, so I make a double batch of six and a half. Um, and uh, that's mainly what I do on Thursday and Friday, yeah. Okay, maybe that's a good time now to uh, move on to talk about the beers. Um, so there are, I think, four or five different types of beers which are produced here. Yeah. Um, so you have the Wipers Times beers, which are named after their original gravity, uh, Wipers Times 14, 16 and 18. Um, 
maybe let's talk about the 14. Yeah, so it all started with 14 in 2013. Um, we did some batches with that, test batches, which were uh, straight away perfect for uh, consumption. That was very good from ready to make a beer that was uh, uh, ready uh, straight away. Um, the Wipers 14 has, like uh, it says, 14 degrees of Plato, which ends after fermentation to a beer of 6 uh, percent alcohol. Um, it is spiced with four spices and we use um, four different types of um, grains. So we use the, the barley malt, we use um, a bit of uh, oat, we use uh, corn and we use uh, wheat. Wheat, yeah. So that's the four that we use. Um, and for spices, well, the coriander is very obvious. And then the rest, uh, like the blessed distal seed, is also what we uh, say. But the last two, we try to uh, not tell too much so people can really guess what it is. So, uh, yeah, obviously, yeah, coriander is quite yeah. prominent it's in, prominent, its, in yeah. its, you know, it's, it's a commonly used herb in a lot of Belgian beers, yeah. or spice in a lot of Belgian beers. Um, what what flavor quality would you say the blessed thistle gives? Because obviously it's it's more directly related to the story of yeah. the, the the place that we're in. Yeah. But what for, from a, from a kind of a yeah the flavor profile of the beer? What does it contribute? Uh, it's uh, it has a very light uh, subtle spiciness that it adds to it. And for the um, for the other two spices which you refuse to name. Yeah. Um, well, the, the fact that we uh, won with the beer a medal at the Brussels Beer Challenge as a double wheat, I think it says enough what could be uh, as spices in. So the, so the beer has been described as a double wheat, which, yeah. you know, would lead me to presume that one of those then is like a bitter orange peel. That could be. So you have, a, you have yeah. bitter orange peel yeah. and you have, um, you have coriander yeah. and then you have the, the blessed thistle, yeah. which is, you know, related to the, the newspaper. Yeah. And what did you say the fourth one was? I did not say what the fourth one was. Does the fourth one, um, is the fourth one a commonly used yes, spice? It's, it's common. In, in beers in Belgium? In beers in general. Does it have a prominent flavor profile? Yes, but we use it subtly, just not to overdo, so it's, it's quite subtle. It's below the radar, so it just adds a little bit of it. And that's fine, you know, I'm, I'm obviously not going to press you anymore, but is there, is there a reason that you prefer not to like, let people know what, what the final ingredient in the beer is? Well, some people uh, can guess, uh, so some people cannot. It's just a, a professional courtesy not to tell what I use. So if I was to ask Julie or yeah. Rudy, yeah. would they tell me? I don't think Rudy would tell you. I don't think Julie knows. <laughs> you can try. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, so that's, um, so, I mean, it's described as a double wheat. You're telling me, you know, from the, the, um, well, they send in that category in the category for a double wheat. So the double would suggest to me that it's, it's higher a, alcohol. It's a bit higher alcohol, yeah. And the wheat then, that there's a high proportion of malted wheat? We uh, use uh, a bit of wheat, but um, not a high percentage of wheat. Yeah. Okay, so are you happy with the, with the category that it's in? Would you, is that where you would put it yourself? Uh, I was a teacher uh, for the beer categories in, um, in Sintra, and I, a bit, uh, I, I, I don't like putting things into structured classifications so I don't care much about uh, classifications. But that's very Belgian of you right? To put it in a category. To not put it in a category. I don't know well maybe it's very American to put everything in categories because they have the World Beer Cup and the World Beer Association which has like over 19 different 
categories. I don't know if it's very Belgian. I think a lot of Belgian brewers are very mainstream, making a, a, a brown, a double, a triple, um, a blonde. So I don't know, maybe we don't put stuff in categories, but a lot of brewers make the categories that are very mainstream. Yeah, no, my sense is that, you know, when you talk to some Belgian brewers, a lot of it is based on, you know, what's been handed down to them, what they've maybe heard from other people in their area, what they've maybe read a little bit. What is successful? There's another um, beer here that has a kind of a sort of a history to it. Yeah. The, the Grotten Santé. The Grotten Santé. Well, in the past it was Grotten, Grotten beer. Um, it was developed by Pierre Celis. Uh, so Grotten is a cave, right? Yeah, Grotten is a cave. And um, Grotten Santé was uh, developed by Pierre Celis and he made a dark beer, uh, which is atypically because it was not very strong, very spiced, but spiced in a different way, um, with different spices than what you would only expect of a double. It has um, a lot of taste, and it's only 6.5%, so it's quite difficult to make... Well, it's easy to make a dark beer with 10%, a lot of taste. It's not that simple to make a, a beer with a lot of taste with only 6.5%, so he developed that. And it was um, stored in the caves of Falkenburg to uh, develop over time. To to um, to yeah, elevation. So to to um, get some yeah, conditioning, yeah. roundness, maturity. So um, in a, somehow he gave that recipe as a present to um, Saint Bernardus. So um, so so Pierre Celis and Hans de Peper yeah, were close. Friends. Yeah, and at a certain time he says, "Okay, I give you the recipe so you can brew it." And then um, it was brewed at Saint Bernardus for a, a certain time. And uh, since the Casamatten started here, we have the honor to produce uh, it in the Casamatten because this is as close as you can get as uh, storing the beer. Uh, since uh, some time, we um, did construction works in the third hall, but for uh, some time, the, some of the beer was stored here as well. Uh, to uh, have the same aging or development like in the Rotten Afghan, yeah. In in what type of vessel? Um, it was stored uh, just in the bottles. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so in in this space you have kind of three of the halls. Yeah. Um, the the first one is the kind of the brewing hall. So yeah. you have you have you have the kind of the, the the installation laid out so people can easily understand the different steps that happen in brewing. Yeah. The second hall, which is the one we're sitting in right now, is um, the kind of the bar area and sort of tasting room. Yeah. And the third section is a is a is a space for kind of uh, visitors to watch video of, yeah. of the history of Ypres and that yeah. type of thing. But this is now since uh, some time it's fully for visitors. But uh, in the early days we used half for the storage of the beer and half for the visitors. But that has been uh, we we had more visitors, so we wanted to use that space in a better way. I mean, you, you've been doing this since 2013, yeah. so it's not a very short period of time. You know, ha, the, has the, the project been successful? You know, it's, it's a new project, it's something new for Ypres. Like, you know, what, are, what were the, the critical success points to, 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 like, yeah, this is working? Well, the fact that uh, every Saturday visitors can just come from 3 till 5 
on the go and have a visit since it's uh, a lot of time it's booked so I think lately people are asked to make reservations otherwise they will not get in uh, because it's uh, pretty crowded we have a lot of groups uh, in the week as well um, so on a base of that it's pretty successful um, it was successful from the beginning because a lot of English tourists came because of the whole ceremony with 1418 but it, since we are now already two years after that um, it has been successful ever since so it's not that it dropped uh, in tourists um, and the beer is doing well on the market as well so uh, yeah and ha have you been um, you know every brewery has been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic yeah. You've obviously stopped production for a while. Yeah, we stopped um, production. And you're going to start up soon? We start up soon, yeah. Uh, prognosis look very promising, so that's why we will uh, start up soon. Okay, good. I think that's, that's pretty much everything. Last yeah. question is, do you enjoy what you do? I enjoy it a lot. It's, uh, it's totally different than working in the other facility, in the, the Brew Society, where everything is automated. And here it's all uh, old school. Uh, if I open uh, a steam uh, thing, it, I have to take my uh, heads to it. So uh, I like it a lot. And, and this location is uh, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, thanks so much for talking to me, Kun. Appreciate it. Yeah, right. aspects of these casemates, the stories of the Wipers Times and the Hrotten Sante are interesting not especially for the resulting beers, but for the journeys of the people behind them. By creating a satirical trench newspaper, the Sherwood foresters sought fulfilment in their lives inside these vaulted chambers by bolstering the spirits of men on the front line of war who were facing possible death. Those involved in the creation of Brauere Casamatten today have each found in the Casamates some fulfilment on their own personal journeys, whether that's claiming an identity apart from an institution, making a statement within their own family, or pursuing a way to wholly live all of their passions. Come across your own cave, look deep inside. to visit Flanders for their support in producing this podcast and thanks to you for listening. My name is Brendan Kearney. This has been the Belgian Smack Podcast. 
Until next time, love what you do.